everybody and welcome along to the first edition of the Irish Golfer Podcast in 2021. I'm your host Peter Finnan. As always the pod is brought to you in association with KPMG supporting Irish golf at every level. So for our first pod of the year we've decided um, best thing to do was to catch up with someone who we actually spoke to last year in a really popular pod. Um, he's recently raised to the fifth best amateur ranking in the world. So he's always a good chat and uh, yeah, he's some big, big things ahead of him as he looks to forge into the professional ranks. So we caught up this week with um, Mallow's own James Sugru. So hope you enjoy the pod. So James, how are you keeping? Yeah, not too bad, Peter. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Not at all. No, not at all. It's been a, been a strange year, very up and down year, like just with preparations. You've obviously got to tee it up on some big events and stuff like that, but very hard to keep sharp in a year like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, that's probably the that was the big difference, you know. I felt it was just basically going from US Open to the Masters without playing anything in between. It's hard. It's you know, there's there's a lot to be said for week in week out playing golf and it how it sharpens you up and how rusty you get basically if you're not playing tournament golf. So yeah, that was that was that was tricky, tricky for me anyway, to say the least. I seen you were down the Dare Manor bits and bobs trying to get a feel for like a competitive setup, but like without a card in your pocket in the field to put to the sword, it's it's tough. Yeah, it, it is, it is. It's very like you can you can practice as hard as you want for as long as you want, but there's there's just some you know, playing playing as you said with a card in your pocket and playing against the field. You know, you can only get that by playing in tournaments. And unfortunately, this year, tournaments were pretty scarce. Yeah. And I suppose of, of the events you've played, like they're, they're big events, you've played in three majors now and, and, and this like that. What what has been your favourite experience of the three of them? Like your favourite event to go to? Was it the Open or the US Open or the Masters? Yeah, I probably would say the Masters. Um yeah, it's just it's the Masters, you know. It's it's very cool. Um, treated unbelievably well. Um, the course is unreal. The clubhouse and everything, everything inside the gate is just brilliant. Such a a cool experience, and obviously it being the the only the only major that <clears throat> that's on the one course. Um, you know, I've I've been watching it since I was ten, if not younger. Um, so yeah, it was just great to great to get out there and play the course and to just see what it was like, you know, to, as I said, I've been watching it since I was 10 and just to, just to walk on the grass and just to play the halls was definitely special. It would be, it would be the one that I would like to go back to. And I got that feeling as well. When you go there, you've seen so much of it and you, you're so, everything is so familiar from watching it on telly. Like it's hard, from a player's point of view, your first time setting foot there, it's hard not to be in awe of the golf course. Mm, yeah absolutely like there's there's just it's just such a such a good layout such a good design um and yeah as you said it's just in absolute awe of the golf course of every hole every tee box you're like oh yeah this is where tiger did this or this is where phil got up and down here or you know this you can just remember stuff from every hole so it's Mm. it was it was very cool i must say and i suppose from your own um 
not having friends and family there was a bit, it was a big setback, like not being able to bring people across is just, you're all about uh, yeah, family. Like, look, it was, yeah, like it's, I just kind of think as well that it was, it was just so, I suppose, unfortunate for them that, you know, they deserve to be there just as much as me. Um, and then for like, it was just me and Michael, you know, not even one parent or the two of them could go. Um, so yeah, it was just pretty, pretty unfortunate for them now, I must say. And did, did I see that the US amateur actually got to bring his parents in? Did they let some of the American parents in and any one coming internationally didn't? I would say, I would say, yeah, like, yeah, I, I'd say I didn't, I didn't look now or yeah. investigate or anything, but I would say that the lads, even though I see, um, the guy from Argentina, the the amateur Gallegos was his second name. Yeah. Um, Abel Gallegos. He had. I actually may. I we might have been. We weren't obviously on the same flight, but his flight came into Atlanta the same as mine, roughly around the same time. And he was with six people, so he obviously was ah, allowed to bring them in from Argentina, yeah. but I wasn't allowed or. Yeah, it was it was it was unfortunate. I'm sure that all the other American guys and stuff did have their parents there, but yeah, yeah that's the way done. it is. Unfortunately, what's done is done. Um, as a, like, yeah, exactly. talking about the intimidating side of things as well. Like the first time, like I, you go in, you meet like John Carr, Dave O'Reilly, and a few of the Irish guys that are members there. It is very intimidating to be around those guys in their green jackets walking around. You kind of look and going like, "Is this for real? Am I really here talking to these lads?" Yeah, the the green jackets are very cool, you know, that if you if you're a member you obviously have a green jacket and if you win you obviously get a green jacket. So if you see someone in a green jacket over there, they they mean something definitely. Um and yeah, as you said, to chat to them and John Carr hosted the amateur dinner and um I stood up and said a speech and it was just it was cool, it was a great experience. Um the amateur dinner was very cool. Um, Fred Ridley was there. Um, lots of members were there, and the uh, the six amateurs were there also. So it was it was it was very cool. I must say. You're more nervous about that than you were the first tea the first morning when I was talking to you the day before. You were you were breaking it over. <laughs> yeah, I was. I I don't know. Speeches, I suppose, are kind of one of those things that I usually don't mind too much, but. When you're in that setting in the clubhouse in Augusta and there's 20 green jackets around you and some of the best amateurs in the world, it's, yeah, it was, I was nervous, all right, I must say. Um, thankfully, the USGA kind of um, did out little bullet points for me and they were waiting on the stage when I got there. So, yeah, it went, it went fine anyway, thankfully. Have you watched the, like the the coverage this year, even from us, like from a media point of view? Obviously, through the app and stuff like that. Like to have every shot catalogued and recorded. Have you watched it back? Have you watched yourself back yet? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, yeah, I think that's that. That was a big thing that I was hearing was that how good the app was. Um, everybody was just saying like, even even when you'd even when I'd come in after a round or something and if Michael said to me, oh, did you see Tiger shot on 12? And I'd be like, no. And I could just 
go on to the app, go on to 12, find it in two seconds. Um, yeah, it was it was unreal. But I'm not surprised, to be fair. They they just do it. They do everything so well. Um, there's no expense spared, obviously. Um, there's no corners caught. It's just real. How every tournament should be should be ran, I suppose. But it's yeah, they, they know what they're doing over there now. And even like looking back at your own shots, I'd have flicked through some of them there earlier on, just before we come on, and like the first, like the weather, it was it was tough. It was tough conditions, but like those last few holes on the Thursday, um, missing a short put in eighteen, having those type of things happen to you, you just you really lost all momentum going in there into the Friday and left yourself with a lot. Yeah. Even though you'd only played nine holes. Yeah, like it was, you know, I played, I birdied 15 to get it back to maybe one or two. And then I had a good shot into 16 and it just didn't catch the slope. And I was kind of left with a tough two put and I three putted it. And I finished bogey on 16, bogey on 17, bogey on 18 from really not doing that much wrong. And yeah, that was really the kick in the teeth that I did not need. Um, So yeah, it's, but it's, it's the masters, you know, it's, it's going to be tricky, but I do think that the, like on the Thursday, I was out last as I think it was like just after 12. So then there was like a three and a half hour delay. So I wasn't out until like half to three or something. Um, start at like half five. So I kind of knew that I was only going to get nine holes played, but it was just, you know, it would have obviously been a lot better if I was out at seven in the morning and then ended up being off at 10 and just being able to play, but obviously not. But um, yeah, it was, it was obviously not ideal to, to only play nine holes the first day. But... Again, out of my control. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know it was going to rain that bad, and it, it did. The rain that first day was atrocious. I must say. And you done all even your... for them, to, even for them to get the golf course open, like was unbelievable. That's a, yeah. You done all your prep really on kind of drier conditions around the course, and then heavens opened up sort of Wednesday evening into Thursday. And then you're getting mud balls, something you probably hadn't practiced in all week, and getting plugged lies. Oh. It was they should have really uh, went to place. That was one thing. But I was talking to um, Xander's dad, and before I think on the Wednesday, and he was like, "There's no way." He was like, "If it rains for every hour until here until Sunday, there will not be placing." He uh. was like. It, 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 there just won't be placing. So I knew there wasn't going to be placing, but then, yeah, it, it's very frustrating, I, would, I suppose, to hit a good shot. And obviously, if you've got more of a chance of getting a mud ball in the fairway than you do in the rough, so you hit it in the fairway, and next thing you go up and your ball is just covered in mud. Um, yeah, I suppose the one that stands out for me was, was into 13. Um, the second day, I hit a good shot in, which I thought was a good shot, and it just did funny things with mud on the ball. Thankfully, it stayed in the bank. But if that had went into the water, I would have just been like, "Yeah, you know, what do you, what do you do here?" Like it's just, but no, the mud balls obviously were were not ideal. But again, everyone everyone 
ever have had to deal with. And that it came up, I know, like Tiger's woes on the 12th are well documented, but on the same, like the few days beforehand, sort of just before you did that in 13, when you, you stuck one in a bit of trouble on 12 yourself, that's such a tough tee shot. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of, um, it's a one that, it's actually like an easy shot. If you can, if you can, it's only like a wedge or an iron. Yeah. Um, the green is very soft because it's 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 shaded by all the trees and it's a little bit slower than the rest as well. But yeah, it's that was kind of one of them ones that my caddy was great and I was a, a local guy. But I think and and for clubs and stuff to have a guy that like Connor that would know my game that little bit better that would have probably been a bit of an advantage there. Um, I hit wedge where it probably should have been nine. Um, but yeah, again, obviously, twelve historically is a is a great hole. The wind. That was one thing I would say about about Augusta that you probably don't really appreciate watching at home is how much the wind swirls. It's unbelievable. Like it's it's hard to describe it down there. Um, not so much 10, but 11, 12, 13. It's just crazy. Like, it's hard. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, it could be coming straight into your face on 11. And then on 12, it should be kind of like into after right. And it could just be the complete opposite way. It could be straight down out of the left. It's bizarre. It's obviously we've all had swirling winds playing golf before, but for this to be just every day the exact same thing on 11, 12 and 13, you just could not trust the wind. And even my caddy, who's a local there, was kind of throwing up grass and not too sure about it. And yeah, that was one thing that definitely, that I was really surprised by. And they, I suppose, after missing the cut then, you're, you obviously have a pass to get into the place no one else can get in. Did you go back in over the weekend and practice a bit in the range or do anything or did you? Um, I, I went out, I went out watching. So Shane was playing with Tiger on the Saturday. So I went out and watched Shane for a good few holes. Um, and then on the Sunday, I just went out and kind of browsed between groups and, just to kind of know, you know yourself, you probably get to see more when you're watching it on, t- on TV. But it was just nice to kind of, just to be out there and see DJ hitting a few shots and things like that. So yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed my two days off, although I, I would have rather to have been playing. But um, yeah, it, it was still very cool to kind of, and it was also cool to be out there with no fans. You know, you could just basically go wherever you want. Like when I was watching Tiger, he was just walking like two yards away from me. There was no ropes, but there was dotted lines where the ropes should be. But yeah. everyone was just kind of like hopping in, hopping out. There wasn't real. There was no real stewards there. To there was stewards there, but they weren't mad um, strict. Was it? And speaking on Tiger, you got to you obviously got to meet the man himself then on the Thursday or was it a Friday? Friday. And um, Wednesday, I think it was. Um, it was before. It was before the tour. Yeah, I said that I wouldn't go near anyone when they're on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So 
I was just on the putting green. There's a putting green, you know, by the by the first and the tenth. Um, so I was, I was just on the putting green by myself, and then Tiger came on, and I was just like, "Here's this is this is my opportunity." So I said it to Joey. I was like, "Joey, is there any chance I can um, ask Tiger for a pick?" And he was like, "Oh, no problem." So we called him over and just got a pick. Was talking to him for like a minute or two, and yeah, it was it was very surreal. I must say. Um, yeah, Tiger for me anyway. He's he's the one. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask any other golfer for a picture. Um, yeah, so I was delighted to get that picture. And what did you like? You're obviously in awe looking at someone like that. You go, Jesus Christ, what am I going to say here? What did you say to him, or yeah, what did you say to you? No, I just said, um, I just said, hi. Um, is there any chance of a pick? And he was like, yeah, no problem. And he was like. Oh, you're that you're that Irish amateur, and I was like, yeah. Um, he was like, you won the amateur in Port Marnock, and I said, yeah. And he's like, I think I watched that, and I was just like, madness. And then his, you know, Robbie Mack was there, and we were just talking about lockdown and things like that. And he said, where have you been playing? And I was telling him a dare, and obviously Tiger thinks a dare is unbelievable. Um, and so did Robbie. Robbie's originally from Limerick, he was saying. So, yeah, it was just cool. He was talking about Adair and JB and just things like that. It was it was very surreal, I must say. Oh, that's pretty cool. So as we move on from the Masters, because we could talk about it all day. I could anyway. Yeah. Um, like, looking back now on your amateur career, um, it's not an obituary in your amateur career now, by the way. Just looking back on, on what you've achieved, what you've done, how do you assess it, I suppose, looking forward when you're kind of at that, looking forward into a pro career, looking back onto your amateur career? How do you assess it? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I suppose before I won the amateur, I had won like um, a boys' event and a men's event and under 15s. So I was kind of thinking to myself, what I wanted to do was win something like the Brabazon or the Amateur or something like that. That's kind of an, we'll call it an abroad event and um, something that's usually not played in Ireland. It just so happened that the Amateur came to Ireland and thankfully that I won it. Um, so I think my... My amateur career has been has been pretty good. I think I've I think I've played pretty solid all the way throughout. Um, pretty happy with it, to be quite honest. I wouldn't I wouldn't try and change anything. Or I suppose I won the South, which was something that I've always wanted to do. Being from Munster and Cork, like everyone everyone down here is, you know, oh, did you play in the South or blah blah blah. It was always the one that I kind of wanted to win. So when I won that, I knew that was a that was a big goal ticked off the list and then to go on and win the amateur a couple of years later is um yeah definitely definitely a, a huge a huge goal ticked off the list and the amateur i suppose now makes you win an event like that and you get you know you get these invites and they're really set up now to give you let you dip your toe into elite top level major golf um like you get really to experience most people that win the, the amateur obviously go on and turn pro. So you get to experience what it's like and, and try and bridge that gap. So what, I suppose, what have you felt 
you have learned the most from those. I think you've had five professional starts. You've made the cut in the Irish Open, played no man and three majors. Like, what have you learned the most from those experiences that you're going to use going forward? Yeah, um, I think that I think what I've learned the most is from from all the guys that I've played with. Anyway, is just that there's you know even you see Westwood there um, during the weekend like. He's just so solid. Like, I think all the good guys are just extremely solid. They're not like, obviously, you've Bryson, etc., hitting it like crazy far. But, like, when I played at Westwood in, in US Open, I remember it was definitely the most impressive round of golf I, I've ever seen, I would say. Um, just hit, just hit it so straight. Everything was just straight, put it, put it decent. Um, I think that would be a big thing though, to take away from, from I suppose going forward into the, into the professional ranks is just to, just to try and keep your ball on a string. Really, you know, everyone, I suppose it's not really about hitting it three fifty big high draws. If you can just hit it dead straight with every club in the bag, you'll do well. That's one thing that I probably learned from. I thought that you know every player had all the shots and things like that, but it was kind of, yeah, That I just think that if you hit every club in your bag straight and you know how far it's going to go, you'll do well. And do you feel like there's mental barriers as well? When you stand at driving range with all these guys you've watched on TV and it, like there's a feeling that you're kind of on their patch rather than you being on your patch as something that you've earned, especially as an amateur, but then to have those barriers broke down and know that when you go to your first pro event that you you kind of have a bit of a leg up compared to most Irish guys that make that switch, that you're not learning on your first event going out. You've done all this before and you have that comfort level of, I'm just here to, to work and here to compete. Did you get that experience from those events then that sort of getting that looking in awe at other players? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'd agree with you definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's very weird when you're on the range and Bryson or Tigers hitting balls next to you. Know, it's something that that probably does take a little bit of getting used to. But I try to kind of it's hard to, but you would try to kind of just like ignore it and just block them out. Um, yeah, it's I do think though it's definitely as you said it's it's a huge help for someone that wants to tour professional is to get those starts in the biggest tournaments in the world. So even in my professional career, I'll never, you know, the Masters is probably the biggest tournament in the world. If I can get back there as a pro, it'll be great. But to have the experience of playing there as an amateur is also is also brilliant. And are you even you're even more excited now, looking forward into that next stage of your career, obviously. Mm, absolutely. But like engaging, a big part of this then is like engaging with management companies and. How like going through choosing what your next steps are and who you're going to work with and and how you're going to go about it, and I suppose with the way pro golf has gone over the last year with like such a big backlog of tour cards and exemptions and status on tours and stuff like that, is that the defining factor in picking like a management company or someone to work with now? Is how many starts can you get me or what can I get from this? Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a huge factor, but I think 
um, some uh, a group of people that you can trust and that you know that will fight for you and do the and try and do the best for you is probably the most important thing. Um, I would say that most management companies can kind of roughly get around the same starts, but it's just it's just I suppose picking out the guys who will actually get you the starts who are not just talking fluff fellas that will actually do what they're do what they'll say they'll do is the is the tricky part and your stock is obviously up with these companies and you've obviously you don't need to go chasing them they're kind of chasing you so it's a nice position to be in yeah i i, I suppose that's it's difficult to to choose from from the companies but yeah, I hope to be making a choice probably in the in the near future, in the new year, I'd say. And you you're in that sort of zone now where it's in between the pro and the amateur ranks. And like do you lean on someone like Neil Manship then for his experience or the Irish guys like Shane and that, like are they a massive help to you um in Yeah, like the likes of Neil are Yeah, the likes of Neil are brilliant. Like Neil is he's seen it all, he's been through it all. Um, it's his his input is kind of invaluable. To be quite honest, it's it's hard to it's hard to I wouldn't even know someone else like Neil that that you could kind of go to for advice like that. So yeah, people like Neil are just they're hard they're hard to come by, and especially you can definitely trust what what Neil says. Probably one of the most honest people that I know. Um. And genuine as well. So yeah, his to have him on board is is huge, definitely. And other Irish players that you've experienced uh, when you've been at these events, uh, at the pro events, like what has struck you the most about that sort of togetherness that the Irish lads have out on tour, and how accepting they are, and just welcome you in, like someone that you mightn't have met before, and just welcome you in, inviting you out to dinner, and how important are those kind of sort of initiation processes with lads just accepting you into the fold yeah like I, I must say the Irish lads are I don't really know of any other kind of culture that that I, I haven't seen it anyway of where guys are you know where the English guys are solely together the Australian guys are solely together but the Irish guys do seem to be very connected and probably because they've been playing playing with each other since they were 12 or 13 and they're now uh, thriving in professional golf and they've just known each other for so long, happy in their company and it's, it's working for them anyway. And finally, I suppose, on the uh, the GUI, you kind of can't let a moment go by with it. Like, you look back in your amateur career and the, the opportunity they, they've given to you and, like, memories of getting your first Irish cap and your first green jacket as such onto now, how... How will you look back on your amateur career and, and what they've done for you, I suppose? Uh, well, I definitely would not be here if it wasn't for the GUI, that's for sure. Um, to be part of the GUI panel is just, uh, like I said about Neil, it's just kind of invaluable. You can't really buy it. Um, even simple things like the year before I won the amateur, the amateur was in Royal Aberdeen and, and Marker Links. And my wagger wasn't good enough to get in, but the GUI got me in. 
So, yeah, even just things like that is just so good. And then for them to fund you to go places to play golf, like usually in January or February, we go over to South Africa. And even just the playing over there, the experience of it is unbelievable. Um, yeah, the GUI, I probably, I definitely wouldn't be here without them. And yeah, I, I definitely owe them an awful lot. And looking into 2021 then, um, I know you're not one for really setting goals or putting targets down or anything like that, but like, do you have anything in your head that you you think you can achieve and you know you can achieve going forward in a short space of time to try and cement yourself onto a tour somewhere? I suppose it's pretty tough. Um, it's kind of tough with the with the year ahead because it's there, you know, it's schedules and stuff like that are are tricky at the moment. Um, so I'm not really going to say there that there's you know for me to win on challenge tour or whatever it may be. Um, I think I'm just going to just do what I've been doing for most of my golfing life and just practicing and playing playing as well as I can and just enjoying it really perfect well James as always it's a pleasure having you on and uh, yeah best of luck for next year cheers same to you Pete thanks very much thanks for having me I always enjoy catching up with James he's such a breath of fresh air and I know um kind of speaking for everybody listening and everybody involved in Irish golf and with James the very best in the next chapter of his career and hopefully he can forge a really strong career in the professional ranks so like I said at the start of the podcast over the next few weeks we have a couple of really good guests lined up so next week we actually catch up with Shane Lowry our open champion just to have a chat about I suppose what happened in uh, 2020, I look forward to his plans and goals for 2021. It's such a big year ahead with Olympics, Ryder Cup, defending the Open. We talk about uh, Irish Open, JP McManus, a little bit of GAA talk in there as well. So yeah, it's a good all-around podcast. And uh, yeah, so that'll be out next week. So um, as always, if you want to keep up with the latest Irish golf news, visit online or keep up to date on your social channels at Irish Golfer Mag on Facebook, Insta and Twitter. As always, thanks for listening and hope to catch you again soon. Thanks.